I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Where to Go, your personal guide to the world's best travel destinations. If you haven't listened before, I'm James Atkinson, online brand manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, senior editor at DKI Witness. Today we're doing something a little bit different, actually. Uh, we're talking all things slow travel and journeys with DKI Witness project editor Becky Flynn and travel writer Shafik Medji. Uh, so hi to Shafik and Becky. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for inviting us. Um, so Becky and Shafik have both been working on the new DKI Witness book, Unforgettable Journeys, Slow Down and See the World, which was released just last month. Uh, featuring over 200 inspirational entries, Unforgettable Journeys is our brand new celebration of slow travel and taking the scenic route. The team here at DKI Witness have handpicked the world's best adventures from cruising around Alaska and Antarctica to train journeys in Zambia and Zimbabwe. The book is organised by types of transport, so whether you're an avid hiker, cyclist or driver, or love to be on the water or the rails, we've got you covered. So how did you guys um, find working on the book to start us off? Big question. <laughs> <laughs> Becky? How about you? Uh, so um, because I was editing this title, um, I started a bit before Shafik, although um, I did consult with you when we were compiling the list. Um, so we started by um, choosing our favourite journeys in-house. Um, so we talked, all of the editorial team talked about the the most amazing journeys that they'd made or ones that they wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And then um, I... Uh, talk to destination experts so for South America and India I talked to Shafik about which journeys he thought we should include and then talked to editors in our US office and writers in Africa about where they think Um, and then we ended up with a ginormous list and had to cut (laughs) it down to I think the final number is 239 um, which was really challenging Um, so that's where I started with it Um, and then I commissioned Shafik, and you wrote quite a few entries. Yes, I've, I've lost count of exactly how many I, I wrote. But um, <laughs> it, it, it was such, for, from a writing point of view, it was such a fun um, project to be part of. It just allowed me to 
cherry pick from uh, some of my favourite uh, destinations, some of my favourite experiences, some of my favourite journeys, um, and allow me to range from the Andes, the Himalayas, from Antarctica to uh, to almost to the Arctic. It would have been nicer if I'd actually got the Arctic, but <laughs> almost to the Arctic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, and particularly, I mean, I was doing a lot of, um, as you mentioned, Rebecca, we started work on it before um, before coronavirus became became a thing. But a mm. lot of the writing yeah. and editing was done kind of at the start of lockdown and kind of at that, that time it was really nice to, you know, escape for a little bit um, and yeah. do something kind of in a different location, something that took your mind away from things. So, um, so uh, yeah, I, I got a lot more out of this project um i think because of the wider context sure yeah and i think um uh, that's kind of one of the things that makes this book almost perfect for this time in a way in terms of it allows people to both remember past journeys and also make future journeys and have that kind of hope and passion for travel and i guess that's probably quite exciting to share that right yeah ab- absolutely i mean i mean as, as, as i say i mean this is uh, I, I took part in some of the uh, some of the selections for um, for latin america and for india um, and obviously you, you become very proprietorial about your your suggestions you're very keen <laughs> yes. to lobby and get and get them included i mean it, and it, it, it's 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 difficult pick it, picking out the ones that you want to um, put forward you want to recommend but it's lovely to share um, share them with with kind of a wider audience, and particularly, um, you know, there's there's some very famous entries. I write about the Pan American Highway, for example, perhaps mm-hmm. the most famous road trip on earth. But then also, you know, you get the chance to, um, um, you know, really champion some places and um, share some places that people may not have come across or may not have heard about mm-hmm. before. Um, so an example of that would be the, the death road in uh, in Bolivia, which um, is is more appealing than its name would uh, suggest. <laughs> I I remember you advocated, um, and I'd never heard of it before, but um, you'd been to Canada and uh, been is it kayaking with the beluga whales? Oh wow! In the Churchill yes. River. And we included that because the way that you sold that to me, I, I instantly wanted to do it. This is why Shafik's a great travel writer because he's good at pitching, twisting our arms. Twisting, twisting the arms of editors is really ninety percent of the job, if not more. But um, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned mentioned that um, that one because it's actually I was I was actually doing that research trip roughly a year ago, right. almost a year ago. Mm. And um, so Churchill, for for anyone that doesn't know, is um, in the sub-Arctic, it's in Manitoba. There's no road access to the rest of um, Canada. Mm. You, have to either, you have to fly or take a, um, take a train there. Um, but every summer, it's known as the polar bear capital of the world because it's on a mm. uh, polar bear migration route. Roughly around this time of year, October, November, you'll have 900 or so polar bears uh, moving through onto the ice okay. uh, to feed. And when I say moving through, I mean literally walking down the main street of this uh, this this oh, small town. So wow. pe- people really have, have had to find a way to um, to live with polar yeah. bears there. But so so Churchill is famous, obviously, for its polar bears, and that's a reason to visit um, in its own right. Um, but during the summer, um, the Churchill uh, River Basin, which is which leads into the um, the Hudson Bay mm. um, has around three thousand beluga whales that come to come to breed. Um, there's there's so many opportunities to get out on the water to take boat trips, um, to take zodiac um, trips, or uh, something that I did, which was to kayak mm. with them. And and beluga whales, if you've never come across them before, are quite small whales. Uh, they're they're bright white um, and they're very playful, almost like dolphins. Mm. Um, and 
so they, they, they swim, they swim around you. Um, one of the most memorable experiences was, um, paddling into the, uh, the, uh, the, the center of the river and, um, having these ghostly white apparitions pass underneath the, uh, underneath the kayak. And you'd be trying to take a photo of them, trying to really soak up the experience, but they always managed to surprise you by poking out one side or the other. Um, and, and on one occasion, one of them expelled from its blowhole a, a, a mist of spray into my face, which um, <laughs> caught me by surprise, um, uh, provoked lots of uh, laughter amongst my fellow kayakers. Um, and so, I mean, the guy described it as being sneezed on by a beluga, which... Um, yeah, which is not an experience I expected to have, but um, um, at least I, you didn't get COVID. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, th- this was a nice story pre-COVID. Now, obviously, it has a slightly <laughs> a um, different <laughs> slightly different connotation. Um, well, uh, so <laughs> we'll we'll kind of explore a couple of. Um, I mean, that sounds amazing. Uh, we'll explore some of Shafik's adventures um, in a little bit. So, in sort of. Uh, today's episode to celebrate the launch of the book we'll be discussing the art of slow travel what it looks like in today's world and uh looking at those kind of adventures the appetite for slow travel and how covid19 has forced many to reassess their travel priorities whether they want to get sneezed on by a beluga (laughs) whale or not (laughs) and what future journeys might look like for years to come yeah Um, so if you listen out we've got some special monologues in between each of the segments um where writers involved in unforgettable journeys will be reading excerpts from the book about their favorite journeys So in our first audio extract from the book, here's travel writer Sarah Hedley-Heimer's reading about the drive up Jebel Hafeet. In a series of dramatic tarmac twists, a smooth black asphalt ribbon laces up the jagged surface of Jebel Hafeet, or Empty Mountain, on the UAE-Oman border. Regularly pressed by high-performance tyres, the road zigzagging up Jebel Hafeet has co-starred in big, budget movies, as well as Porsche and Lamborghini ad campaigns. Film fans make pilgrimages here, following in the tracks of Bollywood's race and Hollywood's six underground, and supercar spotting is act one on this tarmac stage. The main attraction, however, is the curves. Some 60 bends from exhilarating hairpins to swift sweepers must be navigated on the 12-kilometre, seven-mile drive to the top of Abu Dhabi's highest peak. In just 20 minutes, the road climbs 1,240 metres, 4,070 feet, passing virile desert vegetation and Bronze Age beehive tombs along the way. At the summit, the panorama expands to sand-blurred horizons. Accessible by car, motorbike and even bicycle, the uppermost observation deck hosts an eclectic congregation of petrol heads, serious cyclists, leather-clad bikers, picnicking families and selfie takers, all worshipping the view. The facilities may be humble, a car park, play area, cafe and a scattering of wooden gazebos, but the vista is nothing short of humbling. In this section, we're going to look at slow travel as a philosophy, the advantages of going slow, and we'll discuss some of Shafik's favourite adventures. So um, to start with, Becky, why did you guys decide to do a book about slow travel and journeys at this point? Um, So uh, when we first came up with the concept of this book, it was pre-COVID. So 
it was a reaction to um, the fast-paced sort of commuter culture. Mm. Um, people mm. before COVID, it seems like ages ago now, but you'd be <laughs> able to book a flight and fly to wherever you wanted, really, yeah. for a weekend break. Just imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was a reaction to that. And um, obviously that has a huge environmental impact. Mm. But um, we also believe that it's not very good for yourself. And um, mm. when you actually slow down and reconnect with a place that you're traveling in, um, you actually have a holiday, if that makes more sense, rather than a whistle-stop city break. Um, mm. And then we really wanted to focus on um, journeys that didn't involve so many planes. Yeah. Of course, it depends where you live, but for some of these journeys, you will have to fly um, unless you want to take a very long boat or train to get to the beginning. Um, but we didn't want to have, um, I think recently people have been doing quite a lot of uh, making a lot of journeys where you fly to somewhere in, let's say, like Hanoi in Vietnam, and then you'll be flying mm. to Hue and Da Nang and then down to Ho Chi Minh City and making all of these journeys. And we just wanted to fly the flag for some of the more amazing ways that you can get around places yeah. so in vietnam you could mm. go by motorcycle you could use the train and we believe that it's by traveling that way that you get off the tourist track and understand the real heart of a country yeah and um, also do your bit for yeah. the environment a lot of the time as well exactly the book is split up into chapters where it's routes for cycling walking rowing driving taking the train right so you've got a really nice coverage of lots of different forms of transports and the best journeys for each of those ways of traveling exactly um we do have so in the um i think we call the driving sections actually called um by road because we include um motorcycling adventures i think there's the um Mm. trans-american trail uh which is across america on a motorcycle and motorcycling around vietnam um, oh. And we also have a tuk-tuk journey, I think, in uh, <laughs> Cambodia. Um, yeah, and then we have a by water section because we really didn't want to have, I mean, cruises are so bad for the environment. So we really wanted to focus on, yeah, having canoeing, um, mm. kayaking, um, small boats. Um, we have the Hurtigruten cruise, yeah. which is um, around Norway in a, yeah, and that's a, a boat that runs anyway because it delivers the post um, to all the okay. offshore islands. Yeah. So it's just about traveling more consciously yeah. Um, and, yeah, environmentally. Cool. And traveling in ways that you wouldn't expect to necessarily travel. I mean, traveling on a Norwegian mailboat is, <laughs> is, is quite out there, really. But, I mean, something about this as well, and, and we'll maybe touch on kind of how COVID has impacted um, and, and well, tw- the events of 2020 have impacted our attitude to travel, but it is lots of the transport means kind of almost fortuitously that people have been kind of, you know, almost engaging with for the first time this year in terms of exploring their own country. So um, lots of people getting into cycling at the minute, lots of people, uh, um, you know, kayak sales went nuts over the summer. James, Um, you went cycling around Devon a few weeks ago, didn't you? I did go cycling. I took the Tarka Trail yeah. around Devon, which uh, which is brilliant. I also showed um, my cycling group the the um, Death Road bit <laughs> um, in Bolivia, which I, I think Chaffik wrote, and um, and they were terrified. So yeah, we went on a very flat uh, <laughs> flat ride through Devon instead, but amazing to read about and uh, and and really really interesting. 
So yeah, and um, and Shafik, how about you've been kind of writing about like far flung adventures for quite a long time. Um, how did you kind of get into that adventure travel? What was your first kind of entrance into it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I, I think the interesting thing with travel writing is that no one, no two people have exactly the same the same routine. Um, my routine was that growing up, I always wanted to be a sports reporter. I always wanted to be a sports mm. journalist and write about football for a living. Um, and I, you know, after university, I was lucky enough to do that. I was a sports reporter for the Evening Standard. I wrote for lots of newspapers um, about sport. Um, but I hadn't taken a gap year at that time. I'd been on I'd, I'd been on holidays with my family, which had instilled a love of travel with me for the first time. Yeah. But essentially, I kind of you know mid midway you know through through my work at the Standard, I kind of got itchy feet. I kind of had a real desire to to travel, and um, yeah. So essentially, that kind of got too much <laughs> at one point, <laughs> and I took a kind of an impromptu gap year. So I went to. Uh, I travelled around India, um, and then I travelled around Latin America. And when I was in Latin America, um, because then, as now, there's um, there's remarkably few people writing about the continent in English. Um, mm. I was able to write some some news pieces, but also um, some of my first travel pieces. Um, mm. And I used guidebooks uh, religiously while I while I was there. Glad to hear. And I thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This will be this will be a good way to um to to earn a to earn a living. Yeah. And so when I came back to the UK, when the when the money ran out, um, you know, I tried to I tried my best to 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 break into the industry, which um, took quite a lot of banging on the doors, yeah. and I kind of wrote reams and reams of letters and emails and phone calls and so on. But eventually, I managed to get my foot in the door, and then um, he, he yeah, are. you guys have been able to kick me out <laughs> since. And right in thinking, did you grow up? Was it? Have you always been in London? Yeah, I've always been. I've always been in London. Do you, do you think that was part of the reason why you know the idea of travelling was so appealing? Because London's wonderful, but there's something about being in a city that can maybe feel a bit exhausting. That idea of and it's you know a city of cities, but was there something about exploring the world that 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 kind of really you know that kind of went hand in hand with living in in sort of quite a, a hectic city? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've always. Um, well, I've always lived in South London, other than the period when I lived in an even bigger city in um, in Argentina, Buenos Aires. Mm. It, it, it was it was it was definitely. I mean, I love cities um, and I love city life, but I've always had you know, exactly as you say, Lucy, a real desire to kind of get out to the countryside, get out to the wilderness. Yeah. Really, just 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 as a contrast, because it's a different mm. pace of life, just because you can you know see the horizon. Yeah. Um, to be honest, and I was lucky in that my my family. Uh, my parents love travel. Then yeah. they really instilled a, um, a love of travel in in my sister and, and me. Yeah. I mean, that's what really what they spent their money on growing up. That's great. I mean, that's that's a wonderful upbringing. Um, I think my parents are the same. It's it, it, exactly that. I think I find that as much as I love being in in London, there's something about kind of you know taking a, a adventure somewhere else. And whenever I think of you, I think of you writing really epic pieces and you know quite a sort of as you say wilderness, quite a wild wild writer, um, as well as obviously being a, a London and Buenos Aires pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Shafik, you've you've covered how many continents like uh i mean you're one of the few writers i know who's been to antarctica yeah. which is one thing to say yeah i mean I, i've worked on all seven continents oh wow okay which, which has been been very, very fortunate to do so and yeah i mean antarctica um was um somewhere i mean i i've always wanted to go to since mm. you know when you ask people about this i'm sure you get a 
get a very common reply, which is watching David Attenborough documentaries growing up about Antarctica, about the wildlife, about, you know, somewhere that's almost as different a landscape as you can possibly imagine on Earth. Um, mm. I'd always, I'd always wanted to go, and that really carried through when I was, a, you know, became a travel writer. I write a lot about Argentina, a lot about Chile, particularly Patagonia and Tierra del Fuego, and so, so I, I kind of got as far as I could get, kind of a thousand kilometres, you know, from Ushuaia in in Argentine Tierra del Fuego mm-hmm. to Antarctica. Um, but I only actually managed to get to Antarctica um, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I went on a uh, kind of relatively small cruise that went to the Falkland Islands, went to South Georgia, South Georgia, somewhere that's even less visited than um, Antarctica, kind of incredible wildlife and incredible history Mm -hmm. there. Um, And yeah, and it was an incredibly, you know, mesmerising, really quite moving experience, actually, um, being being in a landscape like Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one one of the things that you become, you know, which... We're all aware of the environmental impact that um, the things that are happening on um, Antarctica at the moment. Here, you get to see it firsthand. You get to mm-hmm. see um, uh, penguins, colonies of penguins uh, in locations where they wouldn't have survived a mm-hmm. hundred years ago. You get to mm-hmm. walk. You know, I, walk, I walked on a, a beach in uh, South Georgia with a, um, a photographer that actually worked on some of the David Attenborough documentaries. And he'd been there in the 1980s, and he was saying, well, this beach, if you were here then, you'd be walking on a glacier. And then he directed my attention to the, the cliff, which was a um, kind of a couple of hundred metres away, and you could see how far the glacier had retreated to that, to that point. Wow. Um, so, so you really get a really deep insight into that. I mean, you also have a kind of an incredible um, insight, real respect for the for the creatures that can um, survive in this in this environment. I mean, it, it's a relatively short season for visiting Antarctica. I mean, actually, in a normal year, you'd be be starting nowish and kind of running through to um, to February, early March. I hear the rates are pretty low there. I mean... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Touch wood. Ter- Touch terrible wood. joke. I'm sorry about that. Dad <laughs> 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 But yeah, that, that that time is really easy. That that, that time is you, you, they they run the, the cruises there because that's the easiest time for humans to visit. But the you know the penguins, these thousands of strong penguin colonies survive there the year round. The whales mm-hmm. they the year round, and it's kind of yeah, you, you have a lot of admiration for them if you visit. Wow, um, and Becky, you. Um you do fly the flag for DKI Witness a bit in terms of you do like to travel as well. Um, how did you kind of first get into being a travel editor? Um, so similarly to Shafik and Lucy, I um, my parents both grew up abroad. So we, um, we were always traveling when I was little just because they were used to it. Um, mm. So yeah, I just always went on quite a lot of far-flung trips. Um, so we went to Venezuela when I was a teenager because um, my mum lived there for a bit, um, and um, we went. We've done like yachting around the Greek islands, which is in the book as well. Um, we always did quite sort of big trips, and I didn't realise how lucky I was, which I am. It's it, it's amazing to do all these journeys. And then I think with, the thing with travel is most people love it it's something that we all love doing because you come out of your everyday Mm. life um, and you're in a different culture and then you take those experience home with you Mm. um so I just I just was like when it came to finding a job I I was like why don't I do something that I really love 
So yeah, being a travel editor seemed to fit the bill. Amazing. Would you agree with that, Lucy? Uh, it does. It does. It definitely does. But also it's hard when you're getting all these amazing submissions from all these writers who are having these wonderful adventures. And um, I love getting copy, but I'm also, it just fills me with envy. Um, and it just means that <laughs> you've always so got true. this list as long as your arm of places that you want to go to. <laughs> um uh, that's a definite sort of slight downside of the job but um but you know it's it is a great job because you do get to travel the world every day and talk to you know fascinating people like Shafik who just always have a great story to tell so um that's a good bit of the job it was torture on this one because um I mean some of them like the Orient Express the Venice Simple Orient Express it's so hard and so expensive to get a ticket um but it just looks amazing um and the same with all these sort of far-flung epic journeys um I was a real sucker for the train rides actually which I never Mm. thought I'd say but I just loved them I was the same Becky I have to say when I was looking through the book it was the the trains I was exactly the same I was quite surprised I I you know I I like a trip something very romantic about a train isn't there but I'd love to kind of rather than just hopping on the Eurostar I'd love to actually do you know interrailing and sort of properly explore somewhere by train it was sort of a surprise to me that that chapter really you know tickled me um yeah I think it's quite a diverse way of traveling because um, you have the experiences, it sounds cliche, but you have the experiences inside the carriages and then outside as well. So um, some of the copy we got about um, talking to your train companions while you're going across Mm. Siberia, um, it it just sounded like an amazing way to travel. Makes the experience all the more special. Out of interest, Becky, how many writers did work on this book? Um, So I I totted that up before we we talked. Um, I think it was 30 in all, um, which was was a lot. That's that is a lot. That's a lot of, um, yeah. sorry to sound really dull, it's a lot of contracts <laughs> and purchases. <laughs> it is. But that, that, that was the only way we could cover such huge amounts of ground, though. Um, yeah. And because we had yeah. so many journeys, we want, to, well, we want to make sure that we have people who knew what they were talking about. Um, yes. And yes. you can actually feel that in the copy. It's You can tell that people have actually done the journeys. They're not just yeah. writing about things they've seen on TV. And you said there was a, this, what, 231 journeys, was it? Or? Uh, it is. Sorry, I can hear clicking here. Um, <laughs> wrote it down. 239. So you had a longer list to start off with. Yeah. yeah. How many did you have in that the beginning? I think we had you, nearly 300, um, which right. was a lot. And then um, we had to, it was like doing a jigsaw puzzle um because oh, of yeah because of the um design of the book um with dk books it's so important that things are visually appealing as well as mm. read really well um we needed to have a hierarchy of how the journeys are presented um so there's some mm. that cover four pages um and then others that only cover half a page um and we had to decide which ones would get which treatment which was really it's hard. Three tier system. Yeah, but all of <laughs> really, the journeys really in there are are amazing. Um, they really are the creme de la creme. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and finally, before we kind of move on, uh, is there one sort of journey that you wrote about in the book that you'd like to talk to us about, Shafik? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, some of some of the, the the longer pieces that I wrote um, that Becky mentioned. I mean, there's a couple. Of the, I mean, Antarctica, which we touched on before, was an incredible one to to mm. write about because there's, there's it's so diverse. Mm. There's so many different experiences to um, to to fit in. There's the fact that because the weather is so um, temperamental down there that, that no two cruises are ever the same. The cruise that I took is it's kind of impossible to um, to repeat. To put that in perspective, one of the places that we visited was um, a place that rather ominously called the Danger Islands. Um, so okay. this, this, this place is um, very limited uh, maps. Um, the guides, um, one of the guides on my cruise told me that more people have stood on the top of Everest than have seen these islands. Um, and they were, they were home to okay. a uh, super colony, in quotes, of um, Adeli penguins. I believe it was about 1.5 million penguins, which is... Incredibly noisy and um, putting it delicately, <laughs> rather pungent, um, should we say? But it was an incredible. It was an incredible experience to kind of travel in. There's, there's not many parts of the world that you can go to and you think, well, this, this is genuinely untouched by human humankind. Mm. But, but, but that would definitely be one of them. Another, another, another journey that I really enjoyed writing about um, was the Pan American Highway, which mm. um, you know. From if you don't know, it's from the from Alaska to um, to Ushuaia and Tierra del Fuego. Um, mm. So I mean, an absolutely in, in, incredible incredible journey. Uh, and I particularly like that because of a lot of the Central American and the Latin American parts of that that I know well are some of my favourite landscapes on Earth. And, and it's so incredibly diverse. So you've got the Atacama Desert, for example, the driest mm. non-polar desert on Earth. Um, you've got the Avenue of Volcanoes in Ecuador. You've got Patagonia, which um, you know I, th- I, th- I think we've all needed a bit of a bit of wilderness, a bit of a taste of the wilderness over the last mm-hmm. year or so. Patagonia is really the place to go to when when uh, when travel there is is possible again. So that that was a really nice way to um, to fit in lots of my favourite places into a, into a single journey. And you mentioned uh, the Death Road in Bolivia, which is um, much, much shorter by contrast. I mean, you can do it in about half a day or so. It goes down from La Paz, which is one of the uh, one of the highest cities on Earth. Um, mm. And it drops precipitously um, through the uh, the subtropical uh, valleys of the Yungus region to a place, um, to, to like a, a tropical resort town. And it's, you know, it, it earned the nickname the most dangerous road on the world in the world because... Mm. In the 90s, hundreds of people were, were dying in accidents. The road is incredibly narrow, about three metres wide in places, sheer drops on one side, uh, waterfalls splashing across the road, um, kind of gravel uh, un- under the tyres. So, but it's also incredibly spectacular. So it's, 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 it's a memorable experience, hair-raising at times. But, um, yeah, you'll be, you'll be pleased you, you did it and you would have earned a drink at the end of it. <laughs> I really like how the uh, difficulty level for that is moderate uh, in the book, which, uh, which I mean, it's probably moderate if you're willing to, you know, if you're not afraid of heights. Or... Yeah, why did you choose moderate for it, Shafik? Well, interesting. I, I did. I did have to weigh weigh that up. I, I, I was thinking it from a um, from a from a cycling ability point of view mm-hmm. you need to be a competent cycler you don't need to be an expert cycler it's um uh, i forget, forget the exact distance it's roughly 40 40 miles mm. it's down i mean the, the the route that the tour the tour companies offer is downhill thankfully yeah. so the actual cycle is 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 relatively straightforward but the psychological side of it because <laughs> 
you know, because it, it carries the name the most dangerous road in the world. Um, mm. There's the yeah. sheer drops. There's lots of distractions. So you need to be you need to concentrate on it, but you don't need to be an expert cyclist in terms of your um, kind of um, your your fitness levels or your skills. I should say you do need to be acclimatized to the altitude. So you, oh, you're, yeah. you're going down from kind of near enough four thousand meters. Um, so okay. yeah, that's the one thing to bear in mind. But um, yeah, as long as you've got your mind right, uh, you should be okay. Cool. Um, well, I'll see. I'll see how my mind goes in the future. And <laughs> <laughs> it's such. A, it's what is one. And, and like a lot of these journeys, they're amazing to to hear about. And then it, the part of the like fun of the book really is just imagining taking them and and imagining yeah. them being there. That must be such a cool ex- experience. Cool. So uh, we'll move on to the next section now. Um, that was really really interesting. We're now going to look at how the attitudes to slow travel may have changed during 2020. So, um, Shafik, has sort of COVID and periods of lockdown, do you think, inspire people to be more adventurous um, around those frustrations around sort of being cooped up and and not being able to travel? I I think the word unprecedented has been used to the point of cliche to describe the crisis that we're living through Mm -hmm. at the moment. But, um, But I think for in all of our lifetimes, this is a seismic event and it's only um, it's understandable and, um, and, and, and right in many ways that it kind of it causes us to, um, you know, look at our lives, look at different aspects of our lives, our work, mm. the way we're living. Um, and I think that definitely translates into, into travel. Um, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I mean, I don't know exactly when travel will um, get back to um, some semblance of normality. But I think mm. when we can travel more, um, things like slow travel will will really, really come of age. I mean, I think cer- certainly where, where I live in, in South London, during, during this time of, of lockdown, I've really appreciated my community. I've really appreciated mm. the local yes. independently run shops and cafes yes. and um, pubs. You know, I've really appreciated my community and kind of going out to buy supplies for neighbours who, who are shielding or unable to do so. And I'd hope that kind of attitude really translates into travel. I was on a, uh, at a virtual conference on Latin American travel earlier this week, and they had some figures that said roughly 10% of people in Latin America depend directly or indirectly on tourism. And mm. the vast majority of these are not um, associated with the uh, uh, the big chains, the big airlines or anything like that. They're working as guides or drivers or they have a small guest house or they work in a hostel or they clean a restaurant or a bar. And what I hope and what I'll certainly be doing more when I travel both for work and pleasure in the future is making sure that I use my money as much as possible to support you know, these small scale independent people on the ground, you know, tourism is a huge, huge industry. You know, mm. we have a lot of spending power and, and we, and we have an opportunity to, to use it for good. So I would hope that that's something that, that kind of carries through. Yeah. Um, and I, and I definitely think, you know, there'll be, there'll be a greater desire to kind of, you know, get out into the wilderness to, um, see some horizons. Yeah. I mean, we're all feeling oh, cooped yeah. up and tramped um, and cramped yeah. at the moment. <laughs> 
um I, I think it's something we could we can we can all all empathize with so um yeah i definitely don't think there'll, there'll be that kind of desire so i think hopefully it's it, it's it's been a very difficult time for the uh the travel industry as in you know most most mm-hmm. aspects of society but i think hopefully it's also an opportunity to um to improve things in the future yeah i think a lot of people have kind of been rethinking the way that they uh, experience their their own backyard and and actually how that would impact on their travel in the future as well and i think uh, like to me one of the major things that i've noticed about lockdown is how essential travel is for people's sort of well-being mm. and actually we talked a little bit about race across the world in the uk um a couple uh you know which was on tv a few, few months ago and uh lots of people were kind of seeing parts of the world they've never experienced mm. before there um you know, seeing people like them go through it too. And actually, I think there is a real desire, not just for so to get back traveling again, but to do it better and bigger and, yeah. uh, and, and you know, really support, support local communities too. Uh, and Becky, has, has your kind of um, attitude to travel changed? Have you got any kind of big plans that you want to do or, or are you going to try and do anything differently? Um, so I was planning um, this summer, I was hoping to go around Vietnam for three weeks, um, oh, wow. which I'd been to before. Um, but I was really looking forward to, um, I hadn't been to Sapa, Sapa, which is in the north. And um, I think we've got some uh, walks around there in Unforgettable Journeys um, and didn't get to do that. Um, but instead um, went to uh, Pembrokeshire and walked the coastal <laughs> path and went to Sky. So drove through the Highlands, which two journeys which are also in the book, um, and did lots of walk around Sky. So in the short term, it made me appreciate the British Isles and how much we have yeah. here um, yeah. to explore. Um, but it has meant that I, I definitely know that when we are able to travel again freely, I don't just want a city break. I want a yeah. two-week minimum exploration <laughs> of somewhere completely different. Yeah, and I guess a bit like as James was just saying as well, that need to kind of properly sort of take a step back from the grind, the daily grind, and two weeks might allow you to do that a bit more, Becky. Exactly. I think as well from working at home, it's I just feel like I've just been in the same space <laughs> completely for ages now um so I just want to be somewhere yeah completely different no sign of a desk no chairs or anything and just enjoying it yeah because I think and there's nothing uh, there's nothing wrong with this at all but many people myself included go on holiday for comfort and and there's definitely still going to be a place for that kind of holiday in the future but actually you know we've got nothing but comfort at the minute in terms of everyone's yeah hopefully your home's comfortable um but um and actually that kind of willingness for challenge or adventure and and as you were saying becky you were able to go to sky and have some of that and have a journey in the uk but yeah i think that there's definitely an appetite to do some more um and how how was that journey in sky like how did you how did you find it um it was amazing um we drove up which took a, a long time from london to sky um uh but because there's a, a, a bridge rather than a ferry, um, we thought it'd be pretty COVID proof, um, which it was, mm-hmm. which was good. Um, and it was just, it's amazing up there. Um, I, It's almost like, I've not been to Iceland, but it's how I imagine Iceland mm. looks. Mm. Um, and it just feels like a completely different country from England. Um, although I'd say the same is true for Wales in a way. Um we're just lucky to have all these different landscapes around us. 
Um, so I definitely appreciated. I felt so lucky to do it. And it was actually quite a good opportunity to explore much more of the UK. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's what strikes me. It's, I find that a lot of my kind of friends are doing things in the UK when previously they would have mm. popped across to Spain or, um, you know, uh, wherever. Um, it, as you say, it's a nice way to explore our backyards because, yeah, we're so spoiled. We've just got so many sort of from, you know, the sandy beaches of Cornwall right to the wilds of, you know, uh, the highlands. Like I went to Yorkshire a few weeks ago. Yorkshire's beautiful. It's just we are very, very lucky to have so much on our doorsteps. And, and I guess, as you were saying, Shafik, to then support local within the UK for now until we can support local sort of in more foreign climes. And, and there are like quite a lot of these, as you mentioned, the the the, the journey that you took in Sky, Becky, is, is is in the book, right? Um, yeah, I don't think we have any of the. I don't think we feature Sky itself. We've got the Hebridean Way, which you can mm. sort of see at yeah. points um, the Alt Hebrides, and we have um, a drive through the Highlands, which you actually do on the way to Sky. Um, and we were really lucky because the weather was beautiful, um, so it was just amazing. It. It was actually one of, I can understand why it's in our guide having done it, um, because it, it was just so, I don't think I'm one of these people who gets ex- super excited about driving. Um, and I just, every bend in the road, it was just stunning. Um, the only bad point were the wow. midges when you, when you stopped by a lock. <laughs> of course. Yeah, what did what did you do about that? Did you have something to wear for the midges? Yeah, I had a, a mosquito net, which is like a tight okay. that you put over your head. Um, so, <laughs> the balaclava. Yeah, so in Sky they have a lot of um, everything. They have quite a few fairy-related things. Um, they have yes. fairy pools, um, and you could do wild swimming in them, which looked amazing. And lots of people mm. were doing that, but um, there were just midges everywhere. And, yeah, I had to put this this tight over your head and then you had a sort of a line of midges on your <laughs> on your neck but it was it was beautiful nonetheless <laughs> it was definitely worth it and 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 Shafik have you managed to get out and about in the UK for any journeys yeah I, I mean I, I mean I've, I've, I've been as stationary as you know I, I've been in 20 years yeah. this this year like, mm. like, like lots of people so I mean kind of productive I mean about the only real trip I've had has been to East Sussex I mean, I'm mm. in southeast mm. London, so, so not a huge distance away. But um, but it felt like a massive adventure, yes. even though it's part of the world yes. I know quite I know quite well. And um, yeah. and and actually, in some ways, that was quite refreshing because you know it's it is very easy to take for granted your your local yeah. surroundings, the UK more more generally. The UK is somewhere that you know parts of Scotland, for example, Northern Ireland. I know I know very little about from a travel point of view. Mm. I mean, I know parts of you know. I spent more time in the Atacama Desert than I have in in um, the Scottish Highlands, for example. Mm. Um, so yeah, so 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 the trip to East Sussex was incredibly incredibly exciting, <laughs> even though it's familiar. Um, and it was great to do some you know some some walks and kind of get out into the countryside. The other thing, because I mean, I, I, I do love cities as, as as well, and it's I've tried to use the um, kind of the time during lockdown to really kind of explore kind of my local surroundings and, 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 yeah. and, and the wider part of South East London. I mean, it's, it's quite green around mm. here. Greenwich Park is nearby. Blackheath is nearby. Mm. Um, but actually, I've, I've tried to, you know, approach, imagine I was on holiday. What would I do um, in my local, local neighbourhood, which has, um, yeah, which, 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 which has definitely helped. 
the attitude that a lot of people have to kind of um you know exploring their own uh, sort of towns and cities and and and, mm. and really kind of you know treating it almost like it's a holiday or or like they're you know finding new aspects to the city um we're working on a new series called like a local at dk at the minute where lucy is working and becky i think are both working on that on that series and um which is very much about seeing you know seeing different sides of cities really and do you think this kind of you know this whole year we'll see you know even things like city breaks done differently people wanting mm. to go you know to the to the unseen go or go local or go to you know uh do something completely different to the to the rest of the crowd yeah definitely i mean i think i think there was a um particularly from from a city break point of view there was a trend towards that before covid mm. anyway um kind of to to kind of go beyond the, the usual the most famous um kind of attractions in in any place and also really experience the city mm. and to, to to properly experience the city to kind of really get a get a feel for it you need to kind of go where the locals go talk to the locals do do yeah. do as yeah. do as they they would do so I, I i do think i do think that will come back i mean I, I think probably in 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 the short term for understandable reasons people are going to be a bit uh wary about um going into crowded places people are going to want mm. to kind of do, do more um kind of things things in the countryside but i think the other thing is that this this kind of you know this current time that we live in has really reinforced um and kind of reminded us of the um, the things that we love about cities the sitting in a cafe having a coffee meeting our friends for a drink going to a concert seeing some comedy yeah. that kind of thing mm. and i think you know in many ways this is it's, certainly from a personal point of view these are some of the things that i miss the most and that yeah. when it's safe to do so i'm going to be desperate to to do that both in london and kind of in in in, in cities further afield absolutely you're completely right. I, I've been feeling like that. I've been, you know, I sat, I did go and sit in a coffee shop and had a coffee on my own the other day and it felt like incredibly indulgent. I was taking pictures of it and sending it to my mum. Like normally I wouldn't have thought twice about going into a coffee shop and having a coffee, but you're right. There's sort of real out of something quite grim. There's definite sort of positives and really wonderful things to hold on to, I guess, that hopefully will kind of all be much more appreciative and much more community focused I'm really hopeful that when we do all travel, we will all be sort of wanting to go to those cute family-run places and chatting to the chefs rather than, you know, the the chain supermarket or whatever. I'm, I'm really hoping that's something that's good, something good out of COVID. Our next reading from the book comes from travel writer Sophie Ibbotson, who wrote this fascinating piece about cycling the Silk Road. There never was just one Silk Road. The term was dreamed up in the 19th century by a German geographer, Ferdinand von Richthofen, to describe the plethora of intercontinental trading routes crisscrossing Eurasia, linking the Mediterranean, Persia, Central Asia and China with the Indian subcontinent. What von Richthofen did unknowingly, was inspired generations of writers and travellers to look at the East through a romantic lens. Even now, the phrase Silk Road conjures up images of camel caravans with precious goods making their way across empty deserts, mosques and madrasas bejeweled with turquoise and lapis lazuli, and exotic bazaars where you can buy anything from a bust of Lenin to a magic lamp. Despite the numerous routes, 
the general consensus is that the Silk Road stretched between Venice and Xi'an. In places where the terrain was most difficult, it made sense to follow the path of least resistance, over natural passes and between oases. The most popular route, therefore, was the Central Asian Silk Road and included what poet James Elroy Flecker termed the Golden Road to Samarkand. For the first time in its history, the journey through Uzbekistan, at the heart of the Silk Road, is easy. Some 86 nationalities can visit without a visa. There are direct flight connections across Europe, the Middle East and Asia, and you can even travel between the UNESCO World Heritage Sites by high-speed train. But as ancient Silk Road travellers found, there's a great pleasure to be had in making your way independently, at your own pace, between the dazzling cities. Driving along the tarmac-covered highways, which follow the same course as the ancient trading routes, you have the chance to stop wherever you fancy, to meet people, and to explore sites that have gone unchanged for centuries. In Navoy, for example, intricately decorated plaster and brickwork still adorn the facade of the Rabati Malik, a medieval caravanserai, or roadside inn, where Silk Road merchants and pilgrims would once have stopped to safely spend the night. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So uh, what does the future of slow travel look like? Um, so we're going to start by uh, just asking Shafik and Becky what 2021 looks like. Um, uh, we talked about the kind of uptake of interest in epic journeys, um, but how quickly do you think we we're able to get back to that i mean obviously we're waiting for sort of vaccines and stuff until we get back to it but you know let's say we have a vaccine how long do you think it will take for people to start traveling again do you think it'll be immediate or like tentatively um, I, I i'd love to be able to give you a, a definitive answer <laughs> there but i mean I, I think the only the only honest response really is to be honest, we don't know at, at, at this stage. I mean, I think, again, looking at it optimistically, if there's progress on um, vaccine, I think particularly if there's more testing mm. as well, mm. would make a huge difference, particularly to travel for, to and from the UK. Um, I think th there probably will be a bit of a lag and people need to get more confident um, before they start to do travel. But, mm. you know, I, th I think travel is really hardwired in us. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm completely mm. confident that... that the desire to travel hasn't gone away. People just need to feel more confident. 
and for it actually to be safer for people to to do so. Um, so it, it will pick up. Hopefully that'll be in 2021. Maybe it'll be a bit longer than that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the desire for travel and long travel and epic travel um, will definitely be there. I mean, I, I, I said earlier, I think, you know, these kind of seismic events makes us, you know, look at our lives and kind of, mm. you know, think what's important. We've seen huge changes to the way we work and so on. Um, mm. So I think it'll be a, a reminder to anyone that if you've been, you know, thinking about, you know, cycling down the Carretera Austral in Chile and Patagonia, if you've been thinking of driving the um, Pan American Highway, mm. if, God forbid, you've been thinking about cycling down the Death Road in <laughs> Bolivia, there's no, there's no time to waste. You know, as soon as you can, do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Wise words. I, I think it will be interesting to see what happens with the airline industry. Um, because if we have fewer flights, maybe people will be forced to do these epic journeys just because you can't just go there over a weekend. You have to actually yeah. explore properly. Yeah. Um, people will maybe be more creative with how what, what they're doing when they're out there. Yeah, um, I definitely agree, though. I think this is has taught us all that we need to seize the moment and do things that we've been putting off. And if you want to make an epic journey, then the time, just do it before it's too late. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I know one of the journeys you have in the book, Becky, is, um, is sort of interrailing, which you've mentioned sort of one route that you can take, but that is actually a very practical way to potentially get across Europe mm. for, for lots of UK travellers over the next couple of years. Um, and that is a natural journey in itself. Like you kind of described going to Skyway, you accidentally almost did two of the journeys in the book, really. Uh, you know, there's lots and lots of ways to have an adventure. And I think the appetite for that is still pretty huge. Um, and so is kind of, would you say, like thinking of kind of interrailing, is slow travel almost going to be a de facto way for people to get around and see the world in the next couple of years? I think so. I think it will be, I think we both will want to. Climate change is such a huge factor mm. of life um, and it's been obvious that during covid and isolation the environment's been thriving from us not flying and all of these things so i think Absolutely. when we are able to travel we'll want to be we'll need to be more conscious of what we're doing and how often we're flying but also we'll want to as yeah. well um and as you say with interrailing there's no reason why if you want to in the book we've got lots of um, like cycle trips in Europe um, mm. and walks in Europe. There's no reason why you can't make the journey to the start point a journey in itself and enjoy mm. every moment of it. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many journeys in the book that probably join together, actually. And you could exactly. do one straight into another. Yeah, I'd, although I wouldn't recommend trying all sort of 251. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> um, cool. And, uh, and, Lucy, this question goes for you too. What kind of future journeys are you guys planning to take? Are there any from the book which have particularly inspired you, Becky? Um, I just keep coming back again and again. Um, I think it was the same writer actually that wrote both of them, but the um, the Silk Road, um, mm. cycling across the Silk Road. I think we've got cycling, train and driving. Any of those I just really want to do. And then also the Trans-Siberian Railway. Um, I, I just think Russia just really fascinates me. Um, and again, it's a train. The train's got me. <laughs> <laughs> Shafik, yeah. what about you? I mean, I, mean, I, I think um, Rebecca's stolen my thunder, really, because <laughs> the, um, the, 
the Silk Road, which I've been reading about a bit about recently, is somewhere I've, I've always wanted to go to. It, it, it's a part of the world that um, I haven't really travelled in at all. Um, but yeah, would, would would absolutely love to to love to explore and the Trans Siberian um, Railroad as well. Um, a, a bit closer to home. I mean, I really enjoyed. You know, it, it might sound a bit funny given that I you know write a lot about Latin America, I write a lot about Asia, but mm. um, you know, some of the journeys in in Scotland and particularly in the Highlands mm. and particularly to the islands, absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that might be a more slightly more realistic uh, next next trip for me. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm absolutely um, uh, yeah very keen to uh, to do that, and also more train travel in in Europe. I mean, at the at the start of the year, I mean, I've been. You know, I think like lots of us trying to fly less for environmental reasons, yeah. and I was trying to piece my way um, to various places in 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 Europe via, via train. Mm. And actually, it kind of you know, as you started to plan the journey, it kind of just sparked off different ideas. You say, "Oh, well, I could travel via Cologne, and so I might as well stop off there, yeah. and then I could, oh, maybe you know, head over to the Netherlands, or head over to Italy, or you know, any kind of." And, and really, that's the kind of travel that i that i love where it's, it's not over planned and that you can be mm. spontaneous to a certain extent you can get lost you can you know kind of end up in places that you didn't expect and kind of you know o- often those are the richest experiences so um so yeah so i'm looking forward to doing to doing that as well um yeah um, one other journey is um in british columbia in in canada which is where i should be uh now if if the year had taken a slightly different different turn so um yeah kind of heading really up to the north to the haida Gwaii archipelago and um yeah to the uh to the great bear rainforest wow. as well to um some wildlife spotting so um yeah i'm not sure if that'll all be next year but um yeah over, over the years to come that's what's on my radar have you found some of the things that you planned for this year, Shafik? Have have been able to you've been able to move them to next year, or um, it, things that things have been tentatively moved? Mm. I mean, I, I, I think the you know the the, the trip to Canada to take an, an example. Um, hopefully, that will there will be a possibility to for that to be done next year, or or potentially slightly slightly further in, into the into the future. Um, other 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 things unfortunately are kind of just completely on hold whether it's because of um you know travel restrictions or budgets mm. or you know diff- different different priorities um and certainly certainly personal trips or um uh potential research trips that i had for articles mm. um yeah have, have, have been on ice but you know one door closes another one opens and so it kind of it does you know it, it might force us to be from a travel point of view a bit more creative about what we write about where we write about how we do the research so um so yeah so there, there, there will definitely be some travel but um even if we're not sure where it will be yet Um, so a big, big thank you to Shafik and Becky for joining us on the podcast today. This was such a wonderful, uplifting episode. Thank you, guys. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, for anyone who hasn't read the book yet, please do go out and uh, and get a copy. It's it's pretty spectacular. Uh, pretty spectacular. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually, if you want to hear more from Shafik, he's got some uh, some web- uh, articles going up on the BBC Travel website. Is that right, Shafik? Yeah, I've, I've got a, a piece on Colombia and another piece mm-hmm. on Argentina coming out over the next uh, 
couple of months. Uh, looking a bit further further ahead, um, I'll have a uh, my first travel narrative book called mm. Crossed Off the Map, uh, which is about Bolivia, and I'll be out uh, sometime next year. Fantastic! So exciting! Very excited to read that. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you, big thank you to Becky as well um, uh, for pulling together what has been a marvelous book through through all the challenges of 2020 as well (laughs) it was a delight (laughs) Uh, so thanks very much guys for talking to us and uh see you soon bye guys it's been a real pleasure thank you And of course, we couldn't let Shafiq leave without him reading one of his own pieces from the book. Uh, So here's his journey into Antarctica. Hundreds of thousands of penguins huddling together against bitter sub-zero temperatures. Looming icebergs the size of small countries drifting slowly by. Pods of whales breaking the surface of the water and raising their flukes to the sky. Great walls of snow that appear to have been sculpted by a surrealist. Travelling to Antarctica is perhaps the ultimate journey available on Earth. Modern cruises are very comfortable, but as you cross the choppy southern ocean to the seventh continent, it's easy to imagine yourselves in the snowshoes of great polar explorers like Amundsen, Scott and Shackleton. Although it's possible to travel to Antarctica from Australia, New Zealand and Chile, most apart from the remote Argentine city of Ushuaia. Located in Tierra del Fuego, Ushuaia is just 620 miles, 1,000 kilometres north of the Antarctic Peninsula. From the port, ships travel along the Beagle Channel before making the two-day crossing of the Drake Passage, a notoriously rough stretch of ocean between Cape Horn, the southernmost tip of South America, and the South Shetland Islands, an archipelago that lies just north of the Antarctic Peninsula. Weather conditions in this part of the world are, to put it mildly, challenging and ever-changing. As a result, itineraries are prone to alteration at short notice, and no two cruises are ever quite the same. But whichever route the ship ends up sailing, the experience is mesmerising, even life-altering. It's the journey, not the destination, so the saying goes. And what better way to see the world than by moving through it? If you want to take an epic road trip through the Scottish Highlands, set off on a breathtaking bike ride through Bolland Street's Bullfields, jump aboard the romantic Venice Sampon Orient Express, unforgettable journeys, slow down and see the world is packed with over 200 once-in-a-lifetime adventures that will stay with you forever. Get your copy now at whsmith.co.uk via the link in our bio, where you can enjoy 20% off or at all good retailers. A huge thank you once again to Shafik and Becky. That was amazing. Wasn't it? Yeah, so stunning. So many different uh, journey ideas. And you can find out even more in the book. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And next week, we're going to Paris in the company of travel writer Eleanor Aldridge, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, it should be really, really fun. Yeah, uh, to really, Paris. Really interesting as well. There's lots going on there. But yeah. also, uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, it's always a fascinating city. Yes. Cool. So thank you to Lucy. Um, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks, Jane. See you next time in Paris. See you then. Where to Go was produced by the team at DKR Witness, presented by Lucy Richards and James Atkinson. For more information about DKR Witness, follow us on social media at DKR Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.